Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening. We have our guest, Chris Mikowski, is on with us. And we are going to be talking about lightning. Uh, lightning Safety Awareness Week is June 20th through June 26th. So that's why we're having Chris on to talk about this important topic and uh, something that we both face here in the Carolinas. Uh, any thunder, summertime thunderstorm most likely is accompanied by lightning and a lot of it. So we're going to talk a little bit about lightning and lightning safety and uh, maybe some of uh, maybe some things that you don't know about lightning. So hopefully after this show, uh, you'll have a better understanding. So uh, Chris, welcome to the program. We're happy uh, to have you. And as a first time guest, we always have to throw this first time guest question out there. We all have our weather story, so we'd like to uh, to know your weather story. Yeah, you know everybody's got their their weather story, and it's uh, kind of interesting. You know, I'm uh, the big lightning guy now, but I was terrified of thunderstorms and lightning growing up uh that all goes way way back to when i was just three years old and a tornado warning was issued while i was at preschool and so they huddled us all into the into the hallway and we're sitting on the the floor you know just tracing along the cracks in the wall trying to stay calm as this major storm is going by and you know it ended up giving me just horrible fear of thunderstorms for for the longest time but then you know something something uh, flipped the switch, so to speak. And, you know, I've been really into lightning, uses of lightning data and keeping people safe from lightning. Uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of my story. And Chris, I'll start out uh, with some of the questions. Uh, I mean, that, that's really interesting you say that. I think a lot of us uh, that, are, that are in the industry, we've had some sort of storm anxiety when we were younger that triggered something that got us very interested in the weather to a point of almost exhaustion at times, right? But now, now we're channeling that in the right direction. So really, really cool to have you on to talk about lightning. I want to sort of lead into the conversation uh, with some of the basics, maybe for some of the folks that are watching in the audience, like tell us some basics about lightning, how it forms, maybe the, you know, how hot it can get, you know, let, you know, just some of the, the basic types of lightning too. One of my favorite lightning statistics here recently is if you think about the wall socket that you plug your phone, your computer into, that's packing about 15 amps of current. So, you know, if you stick a fork in the wall, you're going to get a, a pretty good jolt. Lightning, on the other hand, on average is 30,000 amps. So it's 2,000 times more powerful than the electricity running through the walls. So, I mean, it's an extremely powerful spark of electricity in the atmosphere. Uh, and, you know, it develops when you get these big thunder pods. So you look outside and you see the really tall, towering cumulonimbus out there. And in the that cloud there's a lot of collisions of ice crystals water uh grapple the the small dip and dot type hail uh if you want to think of grapple like that and when you get those collisions there's a transfer of electrons so you get positive charges you get negative charges that are transferred throughout the cloud and when that charge separation reaches a certain threshold and it can be different for every storm but you know when there's a big enough charge separation in the atmosphere, you get that big spark and that spark is lightning. Uh, so if you think of what happens here to me in Colorado, every winter, as I start walking around the house and every time I touch something, I get a, I get a spark. I'm making very small lightning in my house every time I do that. So lightning is just that really big atmospheric version of the static shock how how do we detect for lightning like how do we monitor lightning so we we know 
there's there's some hardware that's out there that mounted on buildings perhaps and also we have uh satellite imagery that can capture flashes and so um uh, talk a little bit about that. Like, what, what, how do we capture those? How are you seeing it? Yeah. So when lightning occurs and it can occur within a cloud between multiple clouds from the cloud to the air, from the cloud to the ground. And every time there's a lightning event, uh, it acts as a giant radio antenna in the atmosphere and it sends out radio waves at the speed of light all the way around the world. Um, and there are special uh, antennas that are strategically located around the United States and around the world that are listening for these radio signals. And when the radio signals reach the lightning sensors, all of that information is transferred back to a central processing station. And it takes literally just seconds for the data to go from a sensor to the central processor to a computer screen as a, a dot on the map of lightning occurring. Um, so you have multiple uh, sensors that are listening for that wave and it records the time that the wave occurs or reaches that lightning sensor. And some of them also measure the angle that it came from. So you have a sensor that points in the direction that the lightning wave came from and it records the time. You combine that information from three, four, 30, 40 of these sensors and you can get a very accurate location of where that lightning occurred. I want to wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about what are some areas maybe globally and nationally within the United States that see the most lightning. If you go to globallightningmap.com, you can see this new interactive lightning map, um, which allows you to get information about how much lightning has occurred anywhere on the planet, uh, looking at data from 2016 through 2020. Uh, here in the United States, there's been a a little bit of a, an uproar, a little bit of a ruckus over who is the, the true lightning capital. Oklahoma and Florida are kind of battling it out. They're right neck and neck with Oklahoma at just over 83 events per square kilometer and Florida just under 83 events per square kilometer per year. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, a matter of our, there being more cloud to ground detections or more in cloud detections that are, you know, causing some of these, uh, differences in the amount of lightning in those states. I mean, if you really zoom in and you get down to the, the county level and really doing lightning densities is a, just an area problem. Um, what's the, the smallest area you can get down to where you're actually detecting lightning or things like that. And how, how do you break up the, the country, you know, Orange County and Seminole County, Florida, those are two of the most lightning prone regions, not just in the, the country, but maybe even around the world we're seeing, you know, around 160 lightning events per square kilometer per year. Um, so if you want to think about it, about it's about, uh, I think it's about 10 football fields is one square kilometer. And lightning is about as big around as a golf ball. So uh, if you just take the, the case of central Florida and you go to, Disney World, you just draw a one square kilometer box. It might be the size of the Epcot parking lot. I don't know. Um, but you take this you know, one square kilometer box somewhere at Disney World, throw out 160 golf balls and try to find them. That's how much lightning is occurring in that area in a given year. Um, so you know, when you 
look at the United States as a whole, you know, there's around 200 million in cloud and cloud ground lightning events that occur across the United States every year. That translates to being about 18 events per square kilometer per year. That doesn't really start tipping the scales on you know, the most lightning prone countries in the world. Um, you know, there's some countries like Singapore with over a hundred events per square kilometer, Brunei with over 80, uh, you know, places in central Africa, over 50. Um, if you look at, you know, Lake Maracaibo, uh, in Northern South America, that's one of the most lightning prone places in the world. They see lightning, you know, 300 days a year. So, uh, there's a lot of places that produce a lot of lightning out there. So getting back real quick to the uh, the lightning density map that was produced, um, I know you talked about this gridded network that's kind of produced and and that's how lightning you know accumulation is is gathered. Can you give us a little more inside perspective on how this data is generated to produce that density map? Uh, as, as I had mentioned earlier, each time uh, there's a cloud to ground stroke or an in cloud lightning flash these electromagnetic waves are just blasted around the world. We have very highly sensitive sensors strategically located around the world to cover the, the whole planet that are just listening for these signals. And you can timestamp those signals down to the nanosecond. So, I mean, it's, a, it's extremely uh, precise timing that really allows us to individually tag each event that reaches a sensor. And when you think of it, there's two and a half billion. Uh, so two, five, and then seven zeros after that, uh, lightning events that we detect around the world every year. So to be able to individually pinpoint each one of those is saying, yep, this was one unique event. This was another unique event. It's a, it's a really fascinating technology. And I'm I'm really honored to work with a guy that's got about an 800 pound brain uh, who was able to figure out how to do all of this sort of thing, you know, because you have to account for lightning bouncing between the surface of the earth and the ionosphere multiple times from one location on the planet to another location on the planet. You have to account for things like the magnetic, you know, the electromagnetic waves travel faster going one direction than they do go in the other direction. And ice, if you come across ice, the electromagnetic waves aren't going to travel across the ice that well. The shape of the terrain of the earth, you got to account for that. So there's a, I mean, it's a, a fascinating topic on how you account for all of these little things that make a big difference in exactly how long it takes a lightning wave to get from lightning in Australia to a sensor in Japan or something like that. Chris, I have a question for you about how weather forecasters actually use this data. Of course, uh, it's aside from just the obvious where the uh, weather forecaster says, oh, oh, well, there's lightning occurring in this area with this little blob on radar. So uh, we need to tell people to uh, take shelter. But uh, with this um, data that's, that gets accumulated uh, at, at lightning speed, pun intended, uh, so uh, obviously there's there's potential for other uses for it as well. And can you elaborate on how uh, the uh, weather forecaster in the private sector or in the National Weather Service uh, puts this uh, this vast amount of data you collect uh, to use? There's a lot of different ways that, that lightning data can be used. And that's one of my primary roles is lightning applications. So how do you use the data that we're collecting? We collect 
a lot of data, you know, as I said, two and a half billion events per year. Um, so one of the, the things that lightning data is for is for safety applications, knowing where lightning is so that you can get your ground crew at airport or miners to safety. Um, so, you know, if you're outside anywhere outside and there's thunderstorms nearby, it's not safe and you need to be indoors. So lightning safety applications are a major role uh, for lightning data. So knowing not just where the cloud to ground events are, but where the in cloud events are. Because anytime there's lightning overhead, even if it's in the cloud, there's enough electrical charge there that it could trigger, you could have that cloud to ground stroke, which any one of those could be damaging, injuring, or, or fatal to a person. Um, so lightning safety applications, that's one of the really big uh, uses of lightning data and just monitoring thunderstorms. Uh, uh, as thunderstorms strengthen, you tend to get more lightning. And as thunderstorms weaken, you tend to get less lightning. So you can monitor the lightning trends to see how the thunderstorms are trending. One of my favorite things to do actually when monitoring thunderstorms is to look at the lightning in real time. Um, and so, we, as I said, you can get lightning data from the United States about every 12 to 30 seconds. Um, so you know, you're getting an update of lightning really fast. You get a new radar scan every minute, every four minutes, every five minutes. So you're getting lightning information faster than you're getting that next radar scan. And so you can actually see how the storm is moving by monitoring the lightning data because you know, most of the time the lightning is going to follow the core of the storm. So you can see how the lightning is moving. And so you have a picture of where the next radar scan is going to show the thunderstorm by following that lightning. Um, there's a lot of work being done to understand you know, lightning applications with respect to severe weather, whether it's tornadoes, hail, damaging winds. Um, so forecasters are always working to better understand lightning and severe weather. Um, so how is the lightning trending in supercell thunderstorms or in squall lines? There's a lot of work as well being done looking at lightning and tropical cyclones. Um, and that's what I did my master's work on was lightning in the eyewall of these really strong tropical cyclones. Um, and, you know, we found that in high end category four, category five type uh, storms, you'll get lightning that completely wraps around the eyewall. Um, and we, we've termed that the enveloped eyewall lightning signature um, and when you see that, you have a pretty good idea that this is one of the peak of the peak storms. Um, some storms that have shown that signature are uh, Hurricane Patricia, Typhoon Haiyan, Hurricane Dorian, Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Irma. So these are you know these are the the big name storms that you you know that you tend to think of when you think of what is a big hurricane. Um, so you know it. it understanding what causes the lightning to completely wrap around the eye wall and something that's being worked on. But you know, at least when you see that, you kind of have an indication that, okay, this is, you know, the storm really means business. Um, in the aviation sector, uh, I had mentioned safety applications for getting ground crew off of uh, the tarmac as thunderstorms come in. I was actually sitting on a plane in Orlando, uh, right after the lightning occurred near the North Pole. And I was stuck on this plane for about three hours because there was in-cloud lightning just overhead the airport that just wouldn't leave. And it 
it was just sitting there and sitting there in the middle of August and just wouldn't leave. And so you, you want everybody to be safe. So you have to get the crews off the, the tarmac, but it's also to help planes route around storms. You don't want to fly through storms where you can have hail, you can have the turbulence. So knowing where the lightning is and the extent of the lightning allows the aviation sector to really help route the planes and get planes from point A to point B faster and safer. And then one of the really unique uh, ways that lightning data is used, and one of my favorite ways, is actually for monitoring volcanic eruptions. Um, I think you had uh, Janine Krippner on here uh, at, at some point. And Janine and I have done some work together on uh, lightning and volcanoes, and uh, you know, I've worked with some other volcanologists looking at lightning and volcanoes. And ash is a big problem from volcanic eruptions. It can get into jet engines, shut them down. And geologists, volcanologists, meteorologists are all concerned with where is the ash cloud. And so some of these volcanic eruptions like La Soufriere that just uh, is actually in an ongoing eruption, uh, Bogoslav in uh, the Aleutian Islands, Tall in the Philippines, Krakatau in uh, Indonesia, uh, Cobalco in South America, uh, Fuego in Guatemala. I mean, there's a lot of volcanoes. There's about 70 volcanoes that are erupting, you know, in a given year and 40 to 50 ongoing at any time. And a lot of these produce lightning during their eruptions. So it's a, another tool in the toolbox for uh, volcanologists to understand what's going on inside the volcano because you'll get different ash concentrations. You get different, you know, particulates that are making up the ash. And so different volcanoes will produce different types of eruptive plumes. And so having that understanding of what is going on in the volcano that's producing that lightning uh, helps volcanologists understand what's going on in the earth. It helps meteorologists to know where ash clouds are and help keep people safe from uh, those volcanic eruptions. Chris, um, kind of piggyback off of that, um, something that I, I do, I work um, with uh, NASCAR, especially at some of the tracks here in the Southeast to my main job is to watch for the lightning and, and make sure it doesn't enter our, our perimeter. Uh, the PGA Tour also um, has meteorologists on site to monitor lightning, uh, but there's some sports and events that, that, they don't, maybe they have a lightning policy, but it's a little living on the dangerous side, if you know what I mean. Uh, not pointing my fingers at Major League Baseball or anything, but uh, we've seen a lot of pictures uh, here recently of lightning uh, occurring not too far from the stadium. So uh, as in all weather um, areas, there's always ways to improve. And so uh, my question to you is, uh, how are you and, and the Lightning Safety Council uh, really trying to promote this to uh, events, uh, concerts, sporting events like that, that, hey, we really need to take this lightning threat serious, especially a lot of times uh, this is all happening outdoors in the summertime and, and peak lightning season. Once everybody starts getting outdoors and, you know, everybody does that when the weather starts warming up and starts getting nice, but that's also the point at which you start having those conditions that are favorable for thunderstorms. Um and so with the National Lightning Safety Council, we are big, I mean, we are very big on promoting lightning safety, whether it's indoors, whether it's outdoors, whatever you're doing, we want people to be aware of the, the threat that lightning poses. And, you know, lightning used to kill about 400 people a year in the United States. That's down to around 20 now. Um, and that some of that has 
occurred because we don't have as many people working outdoors as we used to. But some of that's also been because of efforts like the National Lightning Safety Council, helping people to really understand, you know, why is lightning dangerous? How can you be safe from lightning and things like that? And, you know, you mentioned, you know, PJ Tour, NASCAR, MLB, NHL, uh, NFL, um, anybody that does an outdoor event, they should be aware of, of lightning and everybody has, you know, different weather policies for their different events. And one thing that I would really like to see, and, you know, we would like to see as the lightning safety community at large is that everybody has a dedicated section of their weather plan or their safety plan for lightning. Um, as it is such a, a random event, you're not going to ever be able to predict where is lightning going to occur and when is it going to occur? You'll know, you know, if a thunderstorm is moving in, but you're not going to be able to say, you know, section 232 row 11 seat four is going to be struck in two minutes. Um, so having a, a plan in place and, you know, keeping it out of the hands of people that are focused on other parts of safety or other parts of the event, like managing how the game is being played or things like that, take lightning safety and give it to a dedicated weather observer and make sure that person is familiar with meteorology. Don't just give them a, a lightning app or, a, you know, a lightning display and say, okay, you're going to make sure that we're safe from lightning because, you know, different storms move at different speeds. Um, in the summertime, you can get these pulse storms that just come up, come down. You can have these MCSs that come rolling across the, the plains and they're moving at 60 miles an hour instead of a pulse storm that is pretty much stationary. So you have to be able to adapt to the situation and know that, okay, based on this weather event that's going on right now, I have 10 minutes before I need to start the lightning safety plan so that I can get people out of the stands and get them to a lightning safe place. So my, my goal, my desire is for, every outdoor venue and every outdoor event to have a dedicated weather uh, observer who is familiar with meteorology that can monitor radar and monitor lightning information to get people to safety should uh, lightning start moving into the area. It seems like maybe our, our message is getting out there from the whole weather community. Hey, when, when thunder roars, go indoors, uh, see a flash, make a dash. Uh, is that what you guys are seeing as well? Yeah. And that, um, yeah, that is really, I think we've, we've seen that these lightning safety messages have really helped to drive home that when you are in an area outdoors and there's thunder in the area, or there's lightning nearby that you need to get to a lightning safe place. And you know, we're, you know, things are starting to plateau somewhere in that 15 to 20 range. We would love to see lightning fatalities at, at zero but you know, there's always going to be bad luck. People that sometimes people are just getting out of their car and lightning strikes and they're just touching their door frame of their car and they are struck and killed. I don't know that we'll ever get down to zero because there is just bad luck at times, but you know, what we're really emphasizing now is the right things to do when thunderstorms are in the area. Cause we, we now have people knowing that, okay, when there's lightning nearby, I need to get, someplace safe but it's 
now a matter of making sure that they're getting to the right safe place. Um, because, you know, when people think of shelter, they'll think of a picnic shelter, they'll think of a pavilion, a gazebo where they're not getting wet anymore. Um, but that doesn't mean you're in a lightning safe place. The lightning can jump from the roof of the pavilion and, and hit you. So when you're thinking of where do I go if there's lightning nearby, four walls and a roof with electrical and plumbing in the walls. That helps to ground any of the electricity that would be coming from the, the thunderstorm if it were to strike the house directly or the building directly. Don't be on a corded phone. Don't be on a computer. Don't be in contact with plumbing um, because, as we said, lightning can travel through the plumbing or the electrical and, and injure you or be in a fully enclosed metal vehicle. So uh, no convertibles, no golf carts, things like that. Have a, a metal roof on the, the car and you know metal doors all the way around. The lightning will travel around that metal shell through the tires into, and then into the ground, and that, that keeps you safe. Um, so, yeah, um, the, the messaging continues to be there's no safe place outdoors during a thunderstorm. So, you know, you have to get inside, but make sure you're getting inside to the right place. Uh, we, we do have Lighting Safety Awareness Week coming up in June, June 20th through 26th. Uh, so when we get there, Calendar Weather Group, Lightning Safety Council, everyone will be uh, hashing out what you should do, uh, all the points that Chris has just made about how to be safe around lightning. Um, and Chris, I'm sure we're going to clip exactly what you just said because you just, you just hit the nail on the head. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing those those safety points with us. Yeah, and, and each day of Lightning Safety Awareness Week, it has a different topic. Um, so you know, on the Sunday, we like to talk about what is lightning and what is lightning safety, just to give everybody a good introduction. And then the rest of the week, then we talk about specific topics related to lightning safety. So, you know, you get uh, on the Monday, you get a little bit more into the science of lightning and thunder, how lightning develops and, and things like that. Then you talk about lightning safety outdoors on uh, the Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll talk about lightning safety indoors, uh, Thursday, lightning safety and sports activities because recreation events are uh, one of the major contributing factors to lightning injuries and lightning fatalities in the United States. Um, on Friday, we talked about medical effects on lightning victims and how to help people if people are struck by lightning. And then on Saturday, we talked then about protecting your home from lightning. Because, you know, it's important. You know, home is where you are. You know, nowadays, it's you know almost 24 hours a day that you're that you're in your house. Uh, hopefully, with the the COVID vaccines, I got my second one today. Uh, people will be able to start getting outdoors more and uh, start going going to see new new places, new people and new things um but you, know, you want to keep your house safe from lightning that's you know, that's where all your stuff is <laughs> i think i'd be a little upset if some of my stuff were to to burn down so um, one of the, the members of the lightning safety council is actually a lightning protection specialist so uh, she talks about how do you protect your home and how do you prepare your home for lightning chris i want to ask you can you can you maybe let a little little bit out there how how can we protect your house from lightning yeah one of the the best ways of protecting your your house from lightning is uh actually just lightning rods so ben franklin came up with a lightning rod back in the 1700s um that's a great way to to help protect your home um, because what it does is provides a path for the electricity to travel from the lightning into the ground. And so the lightning rod is just a, a metal rod, you know, usually a copper rod that 
is fairly decorative. So, you know, it, it doesn't look too, too bad when it's sticking up off the roof of your house with a uh, wire that goes to a copper rod in the ground. So it takes that electricity uh, from the lightning and it takes it into, into the ground to be dissipated. Other things that you can do is surge protection. Yeah. You've got your surge protector. I actually have a lightning bolt shaped surge protector that all of my stuff is plugged into. And, and then you've got the lightning bolt on the wall. So that really tells you how lightning nerdy I am. Um, <laughs> but uh, the surge protector at, at, uh, that you plug everything into is just step one, or it could actually be step four. Um, you might want to actually have surge protectors at various points throughout the house um, where the electrical comes into the house. You can put a surge protector there. So, you know, lightning strikes near the, the power box and travels through the wiring. There's a surge protector right there to interrupt the electricity before it comes into the house. You could then have a surge protector before the electrical gets to the circuit breakers um, so that you don't blow the circuits out. And then, you know, you've got your circuits, which will trip if they get a, an, an overcurrent. And then you can have the surge uh, protectors that you plug your equipment into. So that could be four layers of lightning protection. A fifth layer, if you add lightning rods to, to the roof. Well, Chris, we, we certainly appreciate you joining us tonight. And uh, we'd love for you. You're a great follow on social media. So uh, for our, our listeners or followers uh, who may not be following you already, how can they do that? Yeah, so uh, you can follow me at CO Weatherman on Twitter. Uh, so Colorado Weatherman on Twitter. Um, and if you want to check out Lightning Safety uh, Council, it's lightningsafetycouncil.org. And uh, if you want to pick out your favorite country and see how much lightning happens there, uh, globallightningmap.com. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, thank you for giving us this important uh, talk about lightning. And uh, as we live here in the Carolinas in the summer, you know, we have to deal with it. So hopefully uh, you'll take some of these points that we've talked about tonight and uh, use them. And uh, we hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time here on the Carolina Weather Group.